Welcome into episode 131 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very to be happy to be joined once again. We talked, I believe, just one time in the past uh, up in New York City. We had a great time. It was uh, you guys. We great, great feedback that we got from a big blue Drew of a sea of blue. Uh, Drew, what's going on, man? What is up, Jack, man? Happy to be here. Always happy to fill in because there's far worse things to be than Sean Smith's understudy. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, we do miss Sean. He's uh, in the middle of uh, – he's coaching his ba- middle school basketball team and he's traveling every which way. So uh, we are very grateful to have uh, Big Blue Drew join us today to talk about Kentucky's win over Southern University and just kind of some of the things that were going on this past week. Uh, there's some recruiting news going on that we'll just kind of uh, just quickly run through. But uh, yeah, Drew, I appreciate you jumping on. But before we get into the action, I wanted to tell our incredible Source to Say listeners about our friends at BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel. I'm brand new to sports betting, throwing just a couple bucks here and there throughout the week on games I'd be watching anyway just to you know Drew spicing things up just a little bit do you feel Mm. like the last one out whenever it comes to sports betting don't know where to start understand where the market is moving which smart bets are out there and have some fun listening while you're at it BetQL Daily sponsored by FanDuel is the must listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike host Joe Ostrowski Joe Giglio and Aaron Hawksworth Serve up Wagertainment, the sports talk you love with the betting insights you need each weekday. Find out where the market is moving across all the week's biggest sporting events. Miss out on earlier games? BetQL Daily has you covered there, too, with recaps from some of the biggest recent moments in sports. If you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Drew? Kentucky wins. They beat Southern University on Tuesday night. Uh, it was the return of Sean Woods to Rupp Arena, 76-64. Uh, let's just kind of start with some quick quick early takeaways. What were your thoughts on the win? Well, my first takeaway is I'm, an, I'm a great guest to have on as well, Jack, because I wasn't at the game last night. So I, I actually skipped the game last night. I traded it for your old stomping grounds, Eastern High School. So I wasn't there on site. And from what I understand, I guess my biggest initial takeaway would be that I was the lucky one. It seemed like it was very, uh, very painful. I went back, checked out the highlights, looked at the stats. I caught some on the radio. But, man, it seemed brutal. So I I throw it back to you. How was it being there in person, enduring it? Well, it was it was interesting. The crowd, it was a, a slow-arriving crowd, but I think it filled in pretty nicely, to be totally honest. I know that we get the Jerry Tiptons of the world that gripe about uh, the fan <laughs> energy, and, and uh, they are very quick to take the pre-anthem picture of, of 12 fans in the stands, and I know that uh, it, it riles people up, but I'm going to give – give BBN credit. I thought they did a great job uh, of kind of lifting the team up in some moments. I think this was the first time outside of that Madison Square Garden game that uh, that UK needed the fan base to rally kind of behind them. And, and Drew, I think I, I mm. think they did that. And I think there were a couple of times that, uh, you know, give credit to Sean Wood's group at, at Southern. I mean, they were – every time UK would try to go on a run and the crowd, crowd would rally behind them, uh, I mean, it did the exact – I mean, uh, they – they were able to fight back and claw back. It was really impressive just the way his group was ready and prepared for that moment. Uh, I think it was a testament to, the, to that coaching. I think they did a great job. 
Yeah, from looking at the score, you can tell they did. They just battled back the whole time. And then another takeaway, I mean, obviously, I think when, you know, I'm, I'm kind of was following the game and seeing like, wow, Southern's really keeping it close. They're keeping it close. Just knowing what you're going to get every night from Oscar now. I mean, he just absolutely cemented his role as a just complete double-double machine. And the numbers he's putting up are incredible. So keeping him out of foul trouble is critical, I think, moving forward because his team is going to be so hard to beat over the course of 40 minutes with him wearing you down. Yeah, Oscar was, I mean, just absolute freak show. 23 points, 11 rebounds. He goes, uh, let me look at the numbers, 9 of 11 shooting, 5 of 7 from the line, uh, 4 blocks, 2 steals, and 2 assists in 25 minutes. Drew, I, I mean, it's really tough. In the past, it's been so difficult to have guys that you just didn't know what you were going to get out of them any given night. And I think now at this point, we know exactly what Oscar is going to provide you. I thought it was kind of funny. He told this story after the game, um, tell, talking to the media, because he did fall short of his 20-rebound average goal. Uh, and and a fan, uh, one of the media members kind of joked with him, it's like, only 11 rebounds? What happened there? And he was like, I know. I, I told uh, Ty Ty, he was like, you're making too many shots. You guys need to start missing shots so I can get my rebound total. You guys aren't missing enough shots, so I'm, I'm only getting 11. So I thought that was kind of funny that <laughs> – even with a 23-11 and 11 stat line, he was still p poking fun at himself because he didn't reach his 20-rebound his goal. Absolutely incredible now. So he's, he's made 122 points and grabbed 123 rebounds. Like, absolutely incredible. It, do you think by the end of the year, do you think he will have more points or rebounds? That's a good question, man. That'd be a good uh, – like you did, your, you did awesome on the, uh, the betting read, man. We'd have to get a line on that about what he would finish with more, and what if he finished with dead heat? What if it was dead heat and he just grabbed the exact same amount of rebounds and had the same amount of points? Because it's pretty bizarre so far, 15.3 point average um, for both, so crazy. But I don't know. I would have to go points, though, honestly. Yeah, it, either way, I mean, you're talking about consistency. You, that stat right there is the epitome of consistency. You know exactly mm -hmm. what he's going to provide in the scoring table, and you know exactly what, is, what he's going to provide on the glass. That's just uh, about as impressive as it gets. Drew, I wanted to ask you, this was the first time that we got to see Davion Mintz return to the, to the lineup, and it kind of – I think this was the first game since I think that Duke game that the rotations were really uh, difficult for Coach Cal. I think that uh, when with Davion back in trying to adjust with his minutes to getting Dante Allen some minutes, uh, kind of adjusting the front court, they had some wacky lineups with Jacob Toppin playing the three at times, and it was just really really bizarre. Uh, I'm just curious, what were your thoughts on Davion Mintz's return, and uh, just kind of just. What what lineups do you think are most useful and efficient for this group? Uh, I know that, that uh, there was just a lot of question with what kind of uh, things that he was throwing out there, and, and I know you with your basketball expertise would know uh, probably better than Coach Cal. Well, I don't know about that, but it's <laughs> been all season though, right, Jack? I mean, there's been some element of, um, you know, not normalcy for this roster the entire year, whether it's been injuries, guys just not, you know, playing and getting in. Calf trying to figure it out. It's obviously the early season with all these cupcake matchups, but Mintz is a guy I think you have to get going. I mean, when he he decided to return, I mean, he, he's the ultimate experience in the backcourt, and, and I really don't discount his ability as a playmaker, Jack. I mean, we look back to last season, and, like, he was the guy, basically, if you really needed to have a play made, and you can think about some of the even slam dunks that he had that were amazing. So I think getting him going is critical. I think he played 16 minutes last night, didn't, 
didn't shoot the ball very well. But if Kentucky is going to ultimately accomplish um, their goals of a deep run in March, winning the SEC tournament, winning the SEC regular season championship, I think Davion Mintz has to play a part in that because it's just too long of a grind to really only have a couple guards um, that you're relying on. So we'll see. It's interesting to see how they'll keep him back in the mix. And then you always have the the precarious Dante Allen situation. And, you know, if he's going to be getting minutes, what game is he playing in? Is he not? And you could say that kind of the same thing about the front court too, with um, Collins and, and Lance Ware and, and what they're giving you from game to game. So I think we are a long ways away from honestly whittling this rotation down to what it's ultimately going to be. And we'll probably be having these conversations um, up until and in the conference play. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of going to be the biggest question. I think it was interesting, Cal said after the game last night, that now is kind of the make-or-break time for a lot of these fringe rotation guys. He said that right now is when he's going to be determining who's going to be getting more minutes and who's going to see their minutes taken away. Uh, and I think he kind of used that same, this isn't communism. Uh, whoever earns it, they're going to get it. You know, he was using some of his go-to Calisms, But, yeah, I think those end-of-rotation type guys, the Lance Wares of the world, the Dante Allens of the world, uh, I think those type of guys, I mean, who is, is Jacob Toppin? that guy I thought he played really well last night but is he in that mix is uh you know where does Bryce Hopkins fit in he's hurt right now because he has a, a, a minor back issue but is he thrown into that mix too I think these next couple games as uh, the competition ramps up I think you're going to start seeing some of the uh, major rotation pieces see their minutes kind of spike a little bit and you're going to see those end of bench guys kind of stay on the bench a little bit longer and uh, uh, I, I think this is uh uh, this is make or break time for some of those end of bench guys, especially, you know, the Dante Allens and, and uh, you know, Lance Wares of the world. Yeah, I'm going to sound like Cal here, but I genuinely mean it. I mean, imagine being a player on this roster, though. I mean, it, it's literally, Jack, like a big game Saturday for one of these guys away from landing their spot in this rotation and potentially building up some confidence when you talk about a few of these freshmen. So I, I was just writing something for a Sea of Blue Jack, and I'm, I'm laughing because, you know, us and probably most of the people listening to this, are more excited about the competition picking up this weekend, which means traveling to three and four Notre Dame, who's not very good. But um, it will be interesting, I guess, to see what they do against, you know, some power five competition away from Rupp Arena, um, particularly be what I'm watching for. But I mean, this is absolutely, you know, besides a few names, I, I think you could, there's so many different ways you could go with, you know, how the, how this rotation will work out and where the minute splits are. So a lot of it will be making shots for sure. Yeah. I think it, 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 this weekend is not going to come down to level of competition, those sorts of things. I think it is 100% going to, to have to do with how they respond in a hostile environment. I know that there's a lot of talk. They're introducing their football coach at Notre Dame this year or this uh, at halftime of this game. So it's going to be a really energized crowd, very hostile environment. Mike Bray is a hell of a coach. He has a, a ton of experience. So whether this Notre Dame team is is overly skilled and, and – you know, super successful this season. I, I have watched them a couple of times. I don't think they're very good, but the, no matter what, no matter what the the you know you know the personnel is on that other sideline, it's still the environment and still the coach. And this is a brand new um, you know brand new experience for this team. Uh, that that I think it's you know a, this is their first true road test, and I think that's definitely something I uh, am very excited to see how that unfolds. Drew, I, I did want to ask you because the last time you were on this show was actually the worst 
we've seen Ty Ty Washington play. You, we talked after the mm-hmm. Duke after the Duke game, and we were talking like, oh, you know, he was playing so well during the exhibition games, and and we know what type of score he can be. But you know, where did what happened? Why did he uh, just kind of disappear on the big stage and those sorts of things? Every single game since then, Drew, he has scored at least ten points. He is, uh, I believe, he's finished with over fifty percent in uh, I think six of eight games. If I if I if I recall correctly, and I think the uh, one of the other games he had 46.2% shooting. So he's been efficient, he's been scoring, and he's been doing it so quietly. The way he's been able to put points on the board, uh, I, I just think he has a lot of like Brandon Knight in him, I think, where just that uh, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to get to his, his shooting spots, and he's going to make those shots whenever – those opportunities come, and I, I just—it's—it's it's just kind of crazy to think of how much growth we've seen out of him, kind of just every single game, game by game, since that Duke game the last time we spoke. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, after that game, you're talking a few hours removed from the Duke game, and there was a little, there was some worry, I guess, going around about Tata and how he handled that moment. And I know you more than anyone, Jack. You—you you were so confident that there was. Essentially, I, I remember you put it to me once that there's no way that, you know, he, he's going to consistently struggle or that he'll have um, multiple, multiple back to back games where he's not playing well. And I think if you're a Kentucky fan, he's done even you want to see this over like, I mean, we saw what Trevor Keels did. That's what we were talking about right that night, just that monster game that he had. And now look what he's done. So even in part of not having those monster 30 point, you know, high 20 point games, he has just steadily been consistent and his mid-range is just lethal. I know I'll tell a quick story, Jack. I remember I was taking photos at the Ohio game. And every now and then a team will come into Rupp Arena, Jack, and they're just like ultra prepared for that moment. Like, you know, they just have like almost like a militaristic culture within them. The coach is on it. You know, I'm talking like guys at the end of the bench knows the scouting reports. Like there's several, several teams each year that will come into Rupp Arena, usually non-conference, and I always will pick up on that. Yeah. This year, I specifically remember um, there was just a play in the game. It must have been the first half because Kentucky was uh, was shooting on the far end close to the Ohio bench. And I think Tata, he just made a really nice pull-up mid-range type move, one of his floaters or something within the mid-range. And the player on the bench made a comment of, like, we knew our scouting report said that when he's in his mid-range, he's unstoppable. Like, basically saying they wanted to, to force him to drive it to the basket or take a deep shot that they, um, in their scouting so early in the season, they knew how nasty he was in the mid-range. And he is just working people over and over, game after game, finding ways to put the ball in the basket. And I, I think that consistency of, um, you know, like what he had last night, 14 on 5 of 10, like if you know you're getting that from him, that, that's a great stabilizer for this team who I believe, which I'm sure we'll get into, is a lot better offensively than we've seen. And you could correlate that to both Tata and the team as a whole, Jack. What makes like my eyes kind of pop up is that like I don't think either has played anywhere near their potential. And Kentucky's still seven and one, thrashing everyone on the boards, and um, you know, still seemingly one of the more dangerous teams in the country. And I don't think they're scratching the surface of the potential. Well, yeah, but let's let's hit that. What is it about this team that you like the potential so much offensively? What what kind of little hints and, and little, little tidbits you've seen from them that make you go, ah, that right there, that's why 
uh, this team is going to be so so successful. I know that we've seen kind of the, the playmaking ability from Xavier Wheeler. We've seen the shot-making ability from Ty Ty. And you've seen kind of the anchor in the post with, with Oscar. And I know that that three and four position has kind of been the up-and-down position that you that we've been looking for consistency. But what is it in your eyes that you've looked at that and, and like what you just said, where you've looked at that and going, ah, that right there is why this team is a capable capable of making a significant run. I feel like there's so many things. And one, I won't hit on this too long because every time I do anything like this, it's all I talk about. But I'm a huge Sabir Wheeler fan. I think that he is just – he is the straw that stirs the drink, man. That guy's going to put pressure on the defense the entire time, and he's going to put pressure on the ball handler the entire time. So I think him forcing the issue with the offensive weapons that are on the floor, he'll have some costly turnovers. You're just going to ha- kind of have to be able to live with them because his production so far outweighs that. And then another example I'll give you from just kind of, you know, when I'm doing photography and I don't get like a a brought up picture as television, but I can see just how close that the defenses based off their scouting reports are just hugging Kellen Grady. And they're kind of like guarding that perimeter, which, you know, in return might be what we talked about. It's allowing some open lanes for Tata to get in, make mid-range shots, Oscar to grab essentially every rebound that ever misses. Um, So I think that the other teams respect almost every player that's on the floor for, for a lot of Kentucky's lineups. And in past seasons, we haven't seen that. So, and you could go player by player again. Like, I don't think Kellen Grady's necessarily played bad this season, but he absolutely hasn't played, I don't think, up to the potential of what most thought coming in as a 2,000-point proven scorer. So, Keon Brooks is the same way. You know, last night he obviously didn't, didn't find his groove, but there's just so much potential there, and they've proven that they can do it at this level too. So, I guess that was basically a really long way of saying that if, if we went down player by player – for UK's core guys, I feel like they all are, are going to be playing better by the end of the season. Yeah, you bring up Xavier Wheeler and, and kind of the uh, – you know he's going to make some mistakes. You know that he's going to force the issue at times. And I, I thought it was so telling that last night I think was probably his worst game as a Wildcat, and he still went eight points, three of seven shooting, two of two from the line, six assists, four rebounds, uh, and a steal. And he had five turnovers, but and another, I think one of the the biggest kind of the thing that that kind of turned my head the most after the game was one of the first people that that uh, Sean Woods mentioned by name was Savory Wheeler and was like what kind of impact he makes mm-hmm. at the point guard position and and uh, I know the the player that came out for Southern also brought up Savory Wheeler by name and just kind of impact that he makes and how like what you said he's a straw that stirs a drink. Even at his worst, and I think that what you saw last night is him at his worst. And if his worst is eight points, six assists, four rebounds, and five turnovers uh, plus one steal, I mean, mm-hmm. it's and even still a team high plus fourteen in the plus minus. So even at his worst, he's still a game changing talent for this team. And uh, I mean, you gotta feel optimistic about that after after seeing that. He is. And aside from some Oscar, just absolutely freakish games, I wouldn't be surprised if every opposing coach mentioned him by name or first or whatever, because he's just relentless. I mean, he he pressures the ball too. his defense is just there's so much he does defensively that cannot be quantified on a stat sheet. I mean, he just gets in people's heads. He just nonstop. So I would not want to dribble around him for sure. So and I think you you kind of maybe come to that conclusion too, Jack, just walking through all that like. The farther we get, I guess we're eight games into the season now, I just like this team's floor like just keeps raising. Like You kind of know what you're going to get with them, and, and it's, it's an awesome feeling as a college basketball fan because we know we've seen just kind of throughout different um, years of the Calipari era that there's just 
such peaks and valleys with all this stuff. And not to say that this team couldn't, you know, have a, a few games skid or whatever, but it really does just kind of seem like they're like the stock market over a long time, baby. They're bobbing up and down, but I think ultimately we're just going to see their trajectory like climbing up over the duration of the entire season. And if any indication of how Cal prepares his teams, um, you know, throughout his career at Kentucky, this would be like the poster child for a team that you would think is going to be extremely polished by the time March comes. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You have three <laughs> constants on this team. You know what you're going to get out of Savvy Wheeler. Even last night at his worst, he's still a damn good basketball basketball player getting praised by the opposing coach. I mean, you know what you're going to get out of that. You're going to get playmaking. You're going to get some easy uh, finishes at the rim. Uh, you know, you're get, going to get some rebounds. You're going to get some steals. You're going to get those sorts of things every single game. You know what you're going to get from Ty Ty Washington every game. I think he's the beyond Oscar, and that's the third one. I think those two, you know you're going to get points from Ty Ty, and you know you're going to get efficient buckets, and you know that you're going to get a, a double-double. I mean, shoot, he's he's only not gotten a double-double one single time this this whole season, and that was when against Ohio when he fouled out, uh, got two quick fouls in the first minute uh, of the game against them, and he still finished with 10 rebounds. So those three are the main consistency. And how like I just keep going back to last season. I know I said this on last show, and I think I might have said it with you as well. I just keep going back to last year where if B.J. Boston wasn't hitting or Olivier Saar was cold or Isaiah Jackson got in foul trouble early, the rest of the team was toast. I mean, there was no chance that Kentucky was going to win a game if its top-end pieces weren't playing efficient basketball, winning basketball. This team, you know every single time that Savory Wheeler, Ty Ty Washington, and Oscar Sheboy are going to put you in position to win games. And if you can get anything out of Kellen Grady, I mean, last night, nine points, three of seven shooting, uh, three assists. If you can get one more player, or even a, a third or a fourth or a fifth, if you can kind of add, nobody has to put up 30, 20 points in a game. But if everybody can contribute just a little bit, it's really, really hard to see where this team loses, Drew. And I, and I know that it's it, they just got through the cupcake schedule, and I know things can change on Saturday against Notre Dame, and it's only going to get harder from there. But that the just the roster makeup, I think you you put it perfectly. It's it feels like it's built for a polished SEC run, and then going into postseason play. Yeah, I actually just did some work where I did like the three things Kentucky basketball needs to do or maintain to win their ninth championship. And one of them was, who's the fourth guy going to be? Because I'm pretty comfortable now saying that between Wheeler, um, Tata Washington, and Oscar, that you have a the three-headed monster. You know what they're getting from them. Those are three great college players that, um, for the most part, bring it every night. But if you can find a fourth, whether it's Kellen Grady, Keon Brooks, to really emerge and you kind of know, man, they're, they're playing up to their potential because we've seen it from both of those guys, then this team does become scary. And But you're right, maybe, it, maybe it's by committee. But in my opinion, that just makes it a little scarier with the single elimination tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Let's uh, get – I, I want to touch on one recruiting thing real quick. But before we kind of wrap up on on this game and kind of the, the current team as it is, uh, what is – give me two things that you're looking, looking for this team uh, as they make the trip to South Bend on Saturday. Uh, crowd environment. Like you said, that is one thing, having kind of done some of this and hung out with you a little bit that I, it's just so easy to discount um, if you're not there. It's just how insane these road environments get for Kentucky teams. I can't really even imagine. I mean, got to assume probably the, you know, one of the bigger 
post-COVID games um, in South Bend or probably anywhere that Kentucky's going to go, which is always the point. So how they handle that's going to be crucial. I think they'll do fine, though, because I, I, in Madison Square Garden, they, they did okay, and that, that was a really – Duke was really loud and stuff in that game. But you can't ever discount that with any team, especially young teams that, where the roster is just um, kind of, you know, totally thrown together from year to year. So hopefully uh, good starts always help that. So maybe that would be a, a good way to throw in another thing. Start off the game well. I think if they can hit a couple shots from deep, stress the defense, um, Kentucky should really handle them. They don't really have – um, their best player, I wanted everyone to look up their best player. And um, I think it's Dane Goodwin, I believe is his name. Everyone look up if you're not familiar with him from Notre Dame, their best player, because he could not look more like he goes to Notre Dame of any player in Division <laughs> One. But he can score the ball, so they'll have to contain him a little bit too. <laughs> That's awesome stuff. Let's uh, let's get out of here with this. I know Kentucky fans, uh, I, I put out there that can, that Kentucky had reached out to Johan Traor, five-star center in the class of 2022. There was a lot of talk uh, about why Kentucky didn't reach out earlier and kind of what's, what's the deal with him. Um, I, I wrote this kind of long, in-depth post about kind of some of the behind-the-scenes stuff in his recruitment, why uh, some of the b- Blue Blood programs, some of the bigger schools hadn't reached out or, uh, you know, maintained consistent contact and, and really pushed to land this commitment. And I, I touched on that in this article, but uh, th- there were some eligibility issues and, and kind of cons- some concerns about uh, academic eligibility transcripts is you know he transferred over here or he came over from France uh, he started at prolific prep ended up at Dream City Christian and, uh, and there was just kind of with so much movement and back and forth and transferring credits from here to here and coming from one country to the other and uh, you know one school to the other so there was a lot of back and forth about does you know will his credits transfer does he have the grades as it is you know those sorts of questions uh, were there and I think that's what scared off a lot of teams Kentucky included uh, and I, I think some of those questions got answered here in the last couple of weeks, month or so, and, and uh, I believe Johan's camp actually reached out to Kentucky and, and kind of uh, there was a lot of Memphis buzz and pro buzz, but I think they reached out to Kentucky and was like, hey, let's uh, kind of circle back. I know you guys have a need. You guys missed out on Derek Lively and Kyle Filipowski and Adem Bona and uh, – I know that there's a, a clear missing piece in the middle for you guys in the class of 2022. Why why can't Johan be that guy? So Cal, I think, said, "All right, yeah, cool, I'm into it. Let's let's talk. If you're serious about this, let's get serious." Um, he went down to the Marshall County Hoop Fest with Jay Lucas, saw him play. Um, Drew, I was told that uh, Cal liked it. Cal liked what he saw, but he had some questions. Uh, I think that he was very impressed with what he brought to the table offensively, uh, but I think he wanted to see a little bit more what, what he could do rebounding the ball and, and on the defensive side. I think uh, not necessarily that there's a motor issue, but seeing him engaged for a, you know full long longer stretches than what he showed, and I think that okay. was that was something that uh, I think Cal wanted to go back to the drawing board and made it clear that you know we're not going to offer yet. We're still just kind of starting this process out, uh, and and he wants to see him again. So I know that's something that Kentucky fans are wanting to follow closely. And and uh, Drew, I know that uh, you've been following recruiting, you know, pretty pretty closely as well, and know that uh, it's been kind of a, a, a saga of big men. What the heck is happening down low? Why can't Kentucky land these top big men? And um, I, if you were to ask me right now, does Kentucky land Johan Traor or you know what they do? I, I still don't know. I still think it's too early, and uh, it's not an, a, an easy just kind of plug and play match, but. It's definitely uh, something to keep an eye on, and uh, definitely, no, no matter what, add him, add, don't add him. Kentucky's going to hit the transfer portal hard and get a guarantee down low. So, uh, 
Drew, definitely a lot of, of fun stuff to keep uh, keep an eye on in terms of recruiting. Yeah, man, I was I was just laughing thinking of you going through that because you're right. It always it's you know it's kind of the saga of the swing and miss on um, big men here of the last few years or whatever. But then there's always another big man that we want. Like it's just like a never ending <laughs> cycle. I feel like no matter which guy we miss out on, it's just like there's there's always another one. I guess so. Like you know, there's always another fish in the sea. And like you said, with the transfer portal, I mean, it's it's recruiting blows now are so so much less impactful when you know. I mean, it's just going to be a complete, you know, free for all at the end of the season with as far as available options. But he sounds like a stud. I was hoping I could have gotten down to the Marshall County Hoops Fest, but didn't make it. It's always so much farther than I think it is. But yeah, it's didn't make it this year. Three and a half, four hours. It's like, man, they they couldn't have found a a further place to host this event. But yeah, it'll uh, a bunch of stuff to keep a close eye on there. Um, We'll we'll keep reporting on that and and keeping fans up to date. We'll be talking about that on this show uh, as more news comes out from it. Uh, Keep an eye on the transfer portal. That's still where Kentucky's going to go hard on. I've heard that there's one name that it's kind of looming as a potential option that they're kind of keeping an eye on uh, should he enter the portal during the offseason. So uh, plenty to to keep track of and be excited about, Drew. Uh, I know you got to get out of here, man. This was a lot of fun. I thank you so much for joining us, especially on such short notice. Um, you are welcome back at any time. Hey, man, you know, you're my boy. I appreciate it. Thanks for always having me. Uh, Sean, you guys do awesome work. Always a privilege. And uh, all your listeners are the best every now and then. I'll see somebody and, and they'll mention um, the podcast. So you guys are awesome, man. Anytime I'll be here. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's get you out of here. Where can fans find your work? Uh, man, you can check me out. Uh, I see a blue and then at big blue drew 33. And since you brought it up, Jack, did you happen to see my viral tweet? Because it's it's still blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah. About your, your Dairy Queen experience, man. I crack, <laughs> I've seen it. The most random people have been retweeting it and I just keep seeing it on my, on my timeline. I'm like, what the hell happened to make this, make this unfold the way it did, how fast it did, man. Uh, you, of all the things I thought I, – I knew you could go viral for something, but <laughs> of all the things that I th- thought you could go viral for, I cannot say that a Dairy Queen experience was one of them. Oh, I always knew. I've talked to even people about, you know, it, it's zero talent involved, complete luck for, <laughs> for me to have a viral tweet. I think it's up to about 330,000 likes. But the reason I just brought it up was because now my phone's going off. I don't have Instagram, but apparently some huge Instagram account – has picked it up and is just really plowing through. So I'm getting a lot of text messages, but very insane um, that that happened. So it's been a cool week, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast, dude. Been been a fun week with um, doing all, all types of stuff. <laughs> well, uh, we'll we'll keep track of your viral uh, viral tweets <laughs> and and obviously. Make sure to follow his work. He does a great job. You can find me as well on Twitter at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Stop.